One community church. I was glad when they said unto me, let me come to Dallas and hang out with y'all. It's already been a great weekend. Stepped off the plane yesterday around lunchtime, went straight to Papa Do's. That's how I roll. I know y'all spoiled. It don't mean nothing to y'all, but Papa Do's is where it's at. Hung out with a good friend of mine yesterday, uh, preaching the word of God. It's a great weekend. Only thing that'll make it better is if the Cowboys lose. Yeah. Can somebody say amen with me? I'm just trying to tell you. Y'all having a little good year right now, but there's a great preacher. I just want to quote him. His name is Stephen A. Smith. What can go wrong will go wrong. All right, all right. Now that I've totally alienated you all, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to meet me in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. As you're making your way to Ephesians chapter 5, let me just say what I always say when I come here is something is happening here and that something is related to a someone. His name is Jesus Christ. The anointing of God is resting on this house. And I don't want you to take it for granted. This church is alive, and it's not just because of human ingenuity or skills or education or the volunteers. All of that's wonderful, but it's the Spirit of God that is in this place. And if you're new with us today and you are looking for a church, let me just tell you right now, you'll need to visit nothing else. This is where it's happening, and I give God praise, honor, and glory for all that he's doing here. I'm grateful for my friend, uh, Pastor Conway Edwards. He is a friend of mine. We talk several times uh, a week. Uh, He is, I just affirm what Pastor Matt said, a pastor of pastors. He loves you all, is absolutely ruthlessly committed to you all, but God is also making room uh, for him to influence the broader body of Christ, and uh, we celebrate that, and we pray for our pastor and his wife and the pastoral team here as well. I've got a simple word for for you. Not shallow, simple. Um, It's a word of encouragement. It's not a word of correction, not a word of rebuke. A word of encouragement. I want you to put your hand over your heart right now and just say these words to yourself. God has an assignment for my life. Say it one more time like you mean it. God has an assignment for my life. Ephesians chapter 5, I want you to pick me up in verse 15. The guy who wrote this, his name is Paul. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Make note of this phrase making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, verse 17, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Now, I don't even know what debauchery is. It just sounds like something I don't want to be caught up in. (laughs) But be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then for you, for you men who love to tell your wives to submit, look at what he says, verse 21, 
submitting to one another. See, I thought I, thought I would have heard at least one woman say amen on that. All right, I thought I would have heard that. Y'all just got out the women's conference, and I guess you left all your amens there. <laughs> Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Father, we receive your word in this place today. May the seed of your word fall on good ground. May it take root in our hearts. May it bear fruit through our lives. God, I don't have what it takes to change anybody. I'm not even called to do that. I can't even change myself. I, I, I feel at this moment like that little boy with a few pieces of fish and a few loaves of bread. Thousands are hungry. What I have is not enough. But if you can put your hands on it, it will be sufficient. So multiply your word today. Encourage us. Change us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So several years ago, our family was living on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. All five of us packed up in a 900 square foot apartment. Y'all don't hear me. And we had just gotten there, and one of the reasons why I was excited to get there is one of my best friends in the world lives in New York City, lives uh, up in Harlem. And he called me up one day, and he was, you know, so excited that I was in town, and we got to kicking it and shooting the breeze, and, and his wife is an actress. At the time, she was an actress on Broadway, and he says to me, hey, man, um, my wife just got on to this, to this new production, and um, man, I, we would just love to bless you and your wife with two tickets uh, to this musical. I said, musical? Uh, he, he said, yes. I said, slow your roll, brother. You know I don't do musicals. Like, um, I either want to play or a concert. I don't want to be confused by putting them two things together. Like, I'm that dude. When I get food on my plate, I don't want it to touch. I want it to kind of be in its own separate areas. When I come to church and I hear from a worship leader, I want you to sing. I don't want you to talk to me. Let's not mix those two. I know I've said too much. So I, I'm just kind of OCD like that, right? So I was like, man, you just know musicals. That's just not how I roll. And then I heard the spirit talking, just going, hey, man, step outside of yourself. You know, your wife likes that. So this is an opportunity to bless your wife. So I decided to pick up my cross and follow Jesus and uh, sit in this musical. So we go sit in this musical. And this musical was about some dude I'd kind of heard of, but didn't really know his story. Some dude named Hamilton. And um, um, so I'm sitting there and... Um, you know, find out that this dude named Hamilton was an orphan, went through some traumatic stuff, and then became an immigrant, came to this country, and um, the musicals, this hip-hop thing, and man, round about the second song, I just kind of find my head doing this, man, and my wife's kind of giving me the side eye, oh, you like musicals now, and, and then come the third song of the first act, I'm hooked, because here's Hamilton, and he understands he's got a unique opportunity. Here he is, again, he's an orphan, against all odds. He's, he's in this, this new, fledgling country. And, and, and he starts saying stuff to himself like, I am not throwing away my shot. I am not throwing away my shot. Hey, yo, I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry. I'm not throwing away my 
Shot, you got it. Y'all going to leave me out here by myself. I, I know, I know. All you do is listen to gospel. I got you. <laughs> and, then, and then he gets emboldened. And, and he starts prophesying to himself and saying things like, rise up. The, 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 the whole idea of, of that song is you, you have a unique window of time. You've been afforded an unprecedented opportunity. Don't sleep on it. Don't take it for granted. Don't throw away your shot. Make the most of it. And, and then that got me thinking of another wonderful gospel song song from the movie Eight Mile called Lose Yourself. Oh, y'all know that gospel tune too, right? Eminem's from the wrong side of the tracks. He's, 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 he's in a podunk section of town and yet he's afforded a unique opportunity and he says in this Academy Award winning song, you better lose yourself in the music, in the moment. You only get one shot. And I think that there's something about those songs. The reason why they're such hits is because we can resonate with them at the deepest levels of who we are. We understand the fragility of life. We only get one shot. Isaiah says this of us, we're all like grass. We're, we're here for a moment and then we're cut down. James says it this way, we, 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 life is like a mist, we're like, we're like the dew in the morning, we, we appear for, for a moment and then just like that we're gone. The writer of Hebrews says, it is appointed unto man once to die. And then the judge of sweetheart, I know you like kale salads, but you're going to die. <laughs> and we shall behold him face to face. We get one shot. We've got one moment. I, I, I want to talk for a few moments today about making the most of your shot. Because I think too many of us live on assumptions. We assume we'll be here tomorrow. We assume we'll see 2023. When the newspapers are filled with obituaries of individuals who made all of these assumptions and plans and just like that, God said, give me back my breath. We only get one shot. This is the heartbeat of Paul when we come to our text. In fact, I want to encourage you, read the book of Ephesians. It's one of, one of my favorite books in the Bible. In fact, in the Pauline corpus, that is the collection of Paul's letters, he writes 13 letters. Uh, what makes Ephesians stand out is when Paul writes Ephesians, he ain't mad at nobody. He ain't fussing at nobody. He's not correcting anybody. The Ephesians aren't wilding out like the Corinthians were. Uh, he's not dealing with any of that kind of mess. He's not dealing with mess like he had to deal with with the Galatians and kind of them needing to have their uh, understanding of the gospel recalibrated. In fact, the whole book of Ephesians, six chapters, I'd, enc I'd encourage you, read it in one sitting. You can get through it in about a half hour. It's uh, six chapters, two sections. Chapters one through three make up one section 
section. Chapters four, five, and six make up a second section. It's amazing to me that in chapters one, two, and three, Paul doesn't tell us to do anything. He doesn't give us any instructions. He, 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 he doesn't give us any commands. Chapters one, two, and three, you know what he's doing? He's saying, let me just shine a spotlight on the beauty and the majesty of God and how deeply he loves you. In fact, he says this of God in chapter one, God loves us so much, he says that God predestined you. You know what that means? Before you got here, he thought of you and there was a destination over your life. Y'all don't understand this. That, that, that means there are no surprises to God. You are not here by happenstance or coincidence. You are here by providence. Your mama and daddy may not have planned on you being here. And one of the ways you know that is if your closest sibling is a decade older than you, you was a surprise. <laughs> I got a friend of mine who named his daughter Tequila. My people, my people, my people. You know you've met some people named Alizé. (laughs) Y'all got me going in all different directions. But I want to encourage you with that. Some of you know what it's like to be neglected by a parent. You know what it's like to be abandoned. You know what it's like to be the victim of verbal abuse where parents say awful stuff to their kids. I don't care what your mama and daddy have done or not done. God ain't like your mama and daddy. There's an assignment on your life. You are predestined. God loves you so much, chapter one, Paul says, that you have been redeemed. That God sent his only son for you. Jesus Christ died for you. I love y'all. I love coming here and preaching to you. I got three sons. I don't love you that much to give up one of them. But God gave up his only. Not only that, chapter one says, having been redeemed, you are now adopted into the family of God. God, you are adopted. You are adopted into the family of God. I, 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 I've got my baby sister is adopted. And I remember my dad telling me that, 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 that he sat down with his lawyer. He said, son, I've made some changes to the will. My ears are perking up now. Do tell me what changes have you made? He says, it's interesting. Here I am in the state of Georgia. And the lawyer says, Dr. Lewis, I'm so excited to make these changes with you. But before we get started, here's what you need to understand. Georgia state laws stipulate that at any given pump, uh, moment, you can edit out of your your will, your biological, your biological kids, but at no given moment can you edit out of your will your adopted child. We've been adopted into the family of God. Adoption ain't second class citizenship. It is first class security. And what can separate us from the love of God? Neither height, nor depth, nor anything. Baby, we are secure. How did that happen? Chapter 2. We are saved by grace through faith. 
You ain't saved because you dotted all your moral I's and crossed all your moral T's. You ain't saved because you came to church. You ain't saved because of Big Mama's faith. You ain't saved because of your quiet times. You ain't saved by all the scripture you memorized. You are saved by the grace of God. And grace means you didn't eat your dinner, but you still get dessert. It is God giving you what you showed enough don't deserve. We are here by the grace of God. And then chapter 3, Paul says, let me just tell you how much God loves you. He wants to do, hear this, he wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that you could ask or think or imagine. So that now we come to chapter 5 and Paul says, don't waste your shot. So that by the time we get to chapter 5, hear me, Christianity is not have to, it's get to. For a God who loves me that much, for a God who's redeemed me, saved me, adopted me, I want to, I get to respond to his grace. Paul begins by saying, look carefully how you walk. And then he says this, Making the best use of the time. Walk is how you conduct your life. He says, look carefully how you walk, dot, 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 because the, 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 the days are evil. In other words, there's a lot of stuff out there that can distract you. There's a lot of stuff that you can get caught up in. There's a lot of stuff the enemy sees the call of God on your life. He sees the assignment of God on your life. He sees the will of God on your life. And he ain't just going to sit back and pop some popcorn and let you walk in all that God's called you to walk in. He's got plans for you too. He says, look carefully how you walk. I, I love it. I love it. It, it. It's a picture of what my dad used to say to me when I was about 16, 17 years of age, just learning how to drive. I'd ask dad for the keys to the car. I wanted to take my girlfriend out for the night. wanted to hang with the fellas for the night. Or maybe I wanted to hop in the car with my boys for the night. And, and dad would, would toss me the keys. And right as I'm about to leave, he would say, hey, son, remember who you are. He, he wasn't asking me to remember my address, my telephone number, my social security number. He, he, he said, son, remember who you are. He was reminding me, son, you have a unique name. That name, Loritz, it's a unique name. There's honor attached to that name. There's purpose attached to that name. There's destiny attached to that name. I spent a lifetime building up that name. You are leaving this house at night. There's a whole lot of stuff you can get caught up in. Don't forget who you are. I'm here to tell you, child of God, you bear God's name. God's name is on your life. There's a call on your life. When you leave this church, when you go out into the world, there's a whole lot of stuff you can get caught up in. Look carefully, Paul says, how you walk. And then I love this. Making the best use of the time. This is, this is as technical as this little Sunday school lesson gets. He says, make the best use of the time. That phrase, make the best use, it means to buy from. Ex agarazzo, one Greek word. It means to buy from. Time, there's two Greek words for time. One Greek word is chronos, from which we get the English word chronology. 
Chronos is tick-tock. It's 11, 12 in the morning. Chronos. Tick-tock, tick-tock. That's not the word Paul uses when he says make the best use of the time. He does not use the word chronos. He uses another Greek word, kairos. Kairos, here it is. Don't lose me. Kairos means season. It means moment. It means opportunity. Watch it now. Make the best use of buy from. Best use of the time, moment, season, opportunity. Here it is. Here's the picture. I've been married for 23 years and my wife still gets me with this okie doke. I'll be sitting in my, in my chair watching college football on a Saturday afternoon and she will say to me, honey, I'm going to run some errands. Okay, sweetheart, it hasn't registered yet, 23 years, have a good time running your errands. She then comes back hours later with bags. <laughs> and then's going to have the nerve to say, I got some more bags in the car, can you help me with them? I help her with the bags and she sees the frustration on my face and she, she go ahead and she cuts me off at the past. She says, sweetheart, you'll be proud of me. I saved us some money because there was a sale. I saved us, I saved us some money because there was a sale. And I always say back, you would have saved us even more money had you not bought what you bought. And I heard no woman say Amen. Fellas, you're going to just leave me out there like that, huh? Leave me out there. One fella sitting next to his wife. Can't go with you, doc. Can't go with you. Can't go with you. Here's what my wife is saying. I was at the store. There was this unique opportunity. Oh, now you with me, women. Now you with me. Now you with me. Now you with me. And I bought up as much as I could. Paul says, that's how I want you to see your life. You have a unique moment. Buy up as much as you can for the kingdom. Amen. Ever, ever, ever have kids and watch your parents turn into strangers? Ever, 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 ever have kids? I grew up in a house, I promise you my mama didn't abuse me. I promise you that she didn't abuse me. But mama was rough. She carried a switch with her. And her rule was, anywhere you want to act a fool, I'll act a fool right with you. I love seeing parents these days bartering with the two-year-old, negotiating. Okay, Sarah, if you tie your shoes, I'll take you to Chick-fil-A. I would have loved to have grown up in a house. Mama said it one time. One time. And then my mama, she's, my mama loves to say she's from Philly. I don't really know all of what that means, but the way she would say it sounded like she had survived a tour of duty in Vietnam. She'd get mad, she'd be, boy, don't you know I'm from Philly. 
That's, that's the Karen Loritz I know. <laughs> then my kids come along. I don't even know who she is. <laughs> it's now Mimi. I'll never forget my three-year-old son at the time. My mama and dad just moved into a brand new house, and my three-year-old son takes some crayon and writes on the wall. And I'm saying, this is good. <laughs> You about to get mama from Philly. <laughs> Nuh-uh. You know, what, you know what Mimi does? She goes to Target and gets a frame and puts it over my son's drawings on the wall. Are you kidding me right now? Here's what I think's going on. I think grandparents look through the rearview mirror of their kairos with their kids. And I think they say, I fussed about stuff I shouldn't have fussed at. I missed stuff I shouldn't have missed. I got another opportunity. Let me make the most of it. You get one shot at life. Paul says, make the most of it. How do we make the most of it? How do we, how do we not miss our shot? Look at what Paul says next. He says, here's how you make the most of it. He says, I want you to understand what the will of the Lord is. The, the, the word understand means to lay hold of. It means to comprehend. It means to perceive. It means to grasp. It's actually a command. And whenever there's a command in the Bible, there's always a sense of urgency. There's a sense of, it's almost as if Paul is grabbing us. He says, I want you to lay hold of this concept that, that, that there's a will of the Lord for your life. The idea of will simply means there's a call on your life. There's a purpose for your life. There's an assignment for your life. I want you to lay hold of that fact that there is a will, a purpose for your life. And the problem that we have is when we don't see that there is a sense of purpose in our life, we now leave room for hopelessness and despair and depression. I can tell you of a friend of mine who committed suicide, and the last thing he said to me is, I just can't see any sense of purpose for my life. Someone has come into the house of the Lord today in a sense of hopelessness and despair and depression, dare I even say, engaging suicidal thoughts, and I rebuke it right now in the name of Jesus. There is a purpose for your life. There is a will for your life. There is a call for your life. Now the question on the table is, how do I know what that call is? How do I know what that assignment is for my life? In Exodus chapters 3 and 4, there's a fascinating conversation that God has with Moses. He's, he's in a bush that is burning, but that's not being consumed. For the last 40 years, Moses has been tending sheep in Midian, and he's been tending sheep in Midian, which means he's been using this thing. It's called a staff. 
He's been using a staff to tend sheep. It's what he's familiar with. It's what he's comfortable with. It's what he knows. God shows up to Moses while he's tending sheep, and he says, here's my assignment for your life, Moses. I want you to go down, Moses. Tell, O Pharaoh, let my people go. I want you to lead them from bondage and into freedom. Now, you would think Moses would get excited about that. He's not excited about that. He pushes back on God and gives him a million excuses. I'm, I'm not eloquent. I can't speak. I can't do that. I can't do that. Him and God are going back and forth. Finally, God says, Moses, what's in your hand? It's a staff. Throw it down, Moses. He throws it down. It turns into a snake. Pick it back up, Moses. He picks it back up, and it turns back into a staff. God says, I have an assignment for your life, and the starting point for your assignment is what's in your hand. You with me? Here's where Christians drive me nuts. When we think of the will of God, we automatically think that it has to do with something we don't like. Oh gosh, God's going to send me to some foreign country that I just... The starting point for the will of God is what's in your hand. What are your gifts? What are your passions? What is it that when you do it, you feel the pleasure of God? What is it that when you do it, time flies? Hours go by, and you can't believe you got a paycheck for it. Here's some of y'all's problem. Some of y'all's problem is you have a career, you don't have a calling. You have a job, but you don't have a, vaca- a, a vocation. Here's your problem. It's driving some of y'all nuts. And I know where I'm at. I'm in the pretty part of Dallas. Legacy West is going to be in heaven. You know that, don't you? So I'm talking, some of y'all, here's what's driving you nuts. I'm pulling your card right now. You pull up at your house. You're making well into the six figures. But there, you, you're like, there's an emptiness here because you got the money. You don't have the mission. There's an assignment for your life. You've been created on purpose and for a purpose. I tell my boys all the time, tap into your mission, you'll never work a day in your life. But here's the problem as we close. You can't walk in purpose by yourself. You can't fulfill God's assignment for your life by yourself. Your education ain't enough. Your social network ain't enough. There will be be assignments that God gives you that's too big for you. If you're married, let me help you with this. Your spouse is your assignment. I cannot love my wife the way God wants me to by myself. If you have kids, your kids are your assignment. And you cannot love and lead your kids in your own strength. 
We know that because look at verse 18 in our text. In the middle of talking about assignment and purpose and making the best use of the time, you know what, what Paul says? Hey, by the way, be filled with the Spirit. He says, I want you to be filled. I, w- I, want, you to be, I want you to be filled to overflowing with, your, with, 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 with the Spirit of God. Here's what you need to understand. When you got saved, I know this is hard for you to grasp. When you got saved, here's what happened. God moved into your life. That's why Paul would tell the Corinthians, do, not, do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Right now, God is in you through the person of the Spirit of God. We can never lose his presence. We can lose his filling. Paul says, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. The, 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 the Greek word there, watch it now, it means to be filled to overflowing. I love this. It was actually used of pregnant women. And not just any old pregnant woman, but a pregnant woman in the last days of her last trimester. I'm, I'm talking show enough pregnant. I'm talking can't get comfortable at night pregnant. I'm talking so overflowing with baby can't bend down and tie her shoes pregnant. I'm talking so obviously pregnant that even if you just met her for the first time, step to her in courageous confidence and ask her when the baby's due pregnant. Because there's no doubt. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So people look at you, they go, something's different about you. I'm even talking unsaved people. They don't know the theological categories. There's just something different. When you walk into this office, something's different about you. There's, there's, there's just something, and it's not judgmental. It's not self-righteous. That ain't the spirit. But there is just something that you have that the woman in the cubicle on the other side doesn't bring. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And I love the analogy Paul uses. He says, and do not get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit, which means this. Paul didn't really have a problem with you getting drunk. I know y'all like, fix it, pastor. Fix it. (laughs) Fix it. It's all about what you're getting drunk with. He wants you to get drunk with the Spirit. Now, here, here's, here's the problem. Can we have some real talk? Problem is, some of y'all are social drinkers. Y'all so spiritual. Y'all, y'all gonna leave me out here by myself, huh? A social drinker takes a sip here, they take a sip there. Social drinker is in control. Some of y'all got it down to a science. You don't drink too much to get drunk. You drink enough to get buzzed. Oh, okay. All right. That's the game we playing in here today? And my concern is that's exactly how y'all do with the spirit. It's Sunday. Let me come get a taste. Let me sip some spirit. I worship better be hot so I can get my buzz. But I ain't going to let them have control. When a person gets drunk, what's the first thing they ask for? Give me the keys. A drunk person hands over the keys. They hand over control. When you're drunk with the Spirit, you say, God, here's the keys to my life. 
God, you're in control. God, you call the shots. And guess what? You can get the feeling anywhere. I love it. I was, I was with a, uh, I, was, I was at a church picnic. Uh, church I was pastoring, I was, I was at a church picnic. And th- there was a 96-year-old guy there. He had a little styrofoam cup there. 96 years old. Brother looked good. He was, used to be a Tuskegee Airman. Brother looked good. I said, Elder, it's my first time meeting. Elder, what is your secret? He said, Reverend, I ain't going to lie to you. Jack Daniels. At the church picnic, y'all. You ain't got to come to church to get filled with the Spirit. You can get filled with the Spirit in your car. You can get filled with the Spirit at your house. You can get filled with the Spirit at work. You can get filled with the Spirit at your kids' games. Filled, filled with the Spirit. Let's go home on this one. All of us have been in this situation before. Battery goes out on us. When the battery goes out, what that means is your car can't operate in its divine assignment. No problem. You got a dead battery, you just need to find somebody with an alive battery. What you do is you get these jumper cables and you hook one end up to your dead battery and the other end up to their alive battery. They turn on their car and now power, because the two batteries are connected, is transferred from the live battery to your dead battery through the jumper cables. Hear me. You and I need the jumper cables of the Spirit of God. I can't walk, God. I can't love this woman the way you would have me to love her. I can't love this man you would have me to love. One uh, one of you women are saying, I can't love my kids. I can't walk in my assignment, my kids. I can't walk in my assignment. I can't do any of that stuff. Where do I start, God? God says, here's where you start. You start in relationship with me. You start in connection with me. You're so busy surfing the internet and looking your social net. Yeah, we can do that, but make sure you're on your face before me. Make sure you are praying to me. Make sure you are filled with me. So your journey into making the most of your life begins with a question, are you connected? I want to pray. I believe there's some people here and you are wrestling with the question of purpose. I want to pray for you. You are wrestling with the question of why am I here? What am I here for? I didn't say you're wrestling with finding a job. You're wrestling with finding a calling, a sense of mission, a sense of purpose. I want to pray for you. If you would say, Pastor, I'm struggling with purpose right now, would you just slip out of your seats and meet me at at the altar here? If that's you, if you would say, Pastor, I'm 
I'm struggling with purpose right now. Would you, yes, just slip out of your seats and yeah, just meet me at the altar. I, I wanna, I wanna pray. Pastor, I'm, I'm struggling with purpose. I'm struggling with, with seeing a vision for my life. I'm struggling with, why am I here? I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with a sense of call. And maybe, this isn't true of everybody, but, but, but maybe some of you are coming here hopeless. Maybe you're in a fog of despair. Maybe, dare I even say, for some there could be depression. I want to pray, I want to pray. I want to pray. I'm going to pray, but prayer is not an individual solo sport. It's, it's a team sport. So if you're not at the altar, would you do me a favor? Would you just stretch a hand towards these, your brothers and sisters? You may even want to come up to the altar and stand with them. You may even want to stand to your feet, but I, I, I want you to just pray with me. Don't just listen to me pray, but pray with me in the spirit. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for every man, woman, boy, and girl here at the altar. We don't know the, the intricacies or the idiosyncrasies of what it is that they are dealing with, Lord Jesus. But we call on one who does know. <laughs> I love what your word says. There's not a single hair that falls from our head. There's not a single sparrow that falls to the ground and you don't know about it. You are the all-knowing God. Psalm chapter 8 says, What is man that you are mindful of him? You know. You know. And not only that, Lord God, you care. What is the Son of Man that you care for him? God, you you care about our questions of purpose. You care about the agony we've been going through and why am I here and what is my mission and what is my purpose and nothing seems to be going right and I keep striking out, it feels like, and coming up empty. Lord God, I pray several things. Number one, I pray that they would know that they have been created on purpose and for a purpose, that they have been foreordained, they have been predestined. So we come against every voice of the enemy that would seek to say, God doesn't care. That is a lie from the pit of hell. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. God, you care. God, you know. God, we just say the word of God over each person here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which you have prepared in advance for us to do. So Lord God, I pray that that truth, that truth would sit down in our souls, would fly constantly across the horizons of our mind. And we would know 
that you care, that you love us, that you have created us for a purpose, Lord God. Now, Father, would you open our eyes to what you have placed in our hands? Would you do it right now, Lord God? I, 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 I pray, Lord God, against voices of self-doubt. I speak a godly confidence. I speak a godly swag right now. That you would see the gifts that he's put in your hands. And that you would walk in your God-ordained esteem. And you wouldn't shy away from anyone. And then God, your, your word says as we close that, that, that our gifts make room for us. So God, would you just make room right now, this week, this week, surprise us with the out of the blue email. Surprise us with the quote unquote random phone call. Surprise us with the text message. Surprise us with the direct message on that social media site where the person goes, I don't know what this is, but we have this opportunity and I just thought of you. Oh, that's you, God. That's you. That's you. So right now, Lord God, we, we don't just pray for a paycheck. We pray we pray for mission, for purpose, and that we would walk in your assignment so that at the end of our life, we can say what Jesus says to you in John 17, Father, everything you gave me to do, I did. We walk in it right now. In the name of Jesus, amen.